I first learned of Sue Reynolds as I was watching one of her TikToks referring to common phrases that women tend to use in emails that gives the perception that she's lacking confidence in her work, what she's stating, or what she's requesting. In fact, when women over-apologize in an email or use the word just, it's subconsciously signaling that she wants to avoid any possible tension, also known as the assertive backlash. Hello everyone, Blythe Burnley here with DigitalDispatch.io, and I got a good one for you today, as we're chatting with the owner of Carmine Media, Sue Reynolds, who has gained a strong following over on TikTok by helping women in the workplace with leadership tips and consulting. Some of the things that Sue mentions in our interview, I hadn't even realized I had been doing myself. However, what's great now is that I'm more conscious of those faux pas and on a path to break those habits. I mean, you should actually see me write an email now. I write it all out and then I proofread and then I read it again just to remove the filler words like just and also to make sure I'm not apologizing for genuine things that I need in order to get a job done. All this to say, I was going through my own version of the assertive backlash and didn't even know it. So hopefully women who listen to this chat will recognize some of your own behavior so you're not harming your own confidence perception. This was a really great conversation, so I hope you all enjoy this one as much as I did. All right, now for our next interview, I'm super pumped because we we just had a great chat with Patrick and now we're moving on to our next conversation because this is going to be a a really fascinating one. And if you are of the drinking nature, you're going to want to, if you take a drink every time I say TikTok in this next interview, you're probably going to be buzzed about seven minutes into this show. Uh, But I found our next guest, Sue Reynolds, owner of Carmine Media through her TikToks, which really shine a light on women in the workplace in leadership roles and in meetings and and so many fascinating stories. So so first, let's welcome in Sue. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's really fun that you reached out and asked. I I mean, I I could, you normally, it's a little nerve wracking sending those email requests, but I've learned some tips from you. And so hopefully it it, it obviously it works since you're here. Uh, But in in one of your TikToks, you mentioned the assertive backlash where a study of corporate performance reviews out of all those with references to being too assertive, only 24% of those people were men, which I thought was uh, really shining a light on on how you know women, boss babes, and whatever you want to call them, um, are sort of shown off in in these survey results, where only 24% mm. were seen as being uh, 24% of those were men being seen as too assertive. Let's go ahead and play one of your videos where you show how to respond to the assertive backlash. And now I love this one because I, I genuinely believe that you you get more flies with honey. But so in in, in some of these different uh, I, I guess ways to respond in a meeting, whether it's through email or, or or whether whatever kind of setting you find yourself in the corporate environment, I I, I believe that I you know I I want to sound nice, but I also don't want to sound weak. How common of a problem is it for women to walk this fine line? Oh, it's incredibly common. In fact, if you scroll through my feed, you're going to see me in a silly TikTok video pretending I'm walking a tightrope because that (laughs) illustrates the problem for women who do have to walk that fine line between being assertive and being seen as aggressive. Um, The opposite of that statistic was 76% of women are evaluated as being too assertive, only 24%. And they may be behaving the same way. 
but women are held to a different standard. And I think if you ask any woman who has run for public office, you're going to, she will give you the stories about how screechy her voice was or how she comes across as harsh and she needs to smile more or be nicer. Uh, That's what people expect of women. And it's hard to get past that backlash. In that video, I was really strategizing ways in which you can warn people in advance that you're about to be assertive, right? And so I gave you some tips there on what to say before you just blurt out your opinion or before you uh, take charge of the meeting. You want to warn people. And that really helps offset the assertive backlash. According to research, they're much less likely to get angry or see you as being harsh if you just warn them you're about to give your opinion. So, so what other ways can I, I, I guess that women can embrace their assertiveness? Is it, is it simply just setting up the, the, the phrase before you say it, or are there some other strategies is it maybe body language or, or, or give us some other examples of how we can be, I guess, more accepting of our assertiveness? Well, first of all, the more often we do it, we normalize, we start to normalize the behavior, right? Um, but also you can use assertive body language and still be, kind and warm and have an emphasis on collaboration. Um, a lot of a lot of women tend to, unfortunately, they, they try to make themselves really small at a meeting like this, or they're looking down at their computer like this instead of typing and instead of looking up and making eye contact and engaging with the folks in the meeting. Um, of course, if they're the one that was asked to take the notes, then that's what happens. Uh, they end up taking the notes. But uh, you you can combine a sort of body language with warmth. You don't have to be domineering. You don't have to be aggressive. There's a difference between aggressiveness and assertiveness. Assertiveness is taking responsibility for your own feelings and your own opinions. Aggressiveness is trying to dominate someone else's opinions or thoughts and feelings. And now, now some of these, they, they translate well in, in the real world setting, but you know, over the last year with everyone working remotely, uh, you know, d- different environments like that. And now as we evolve back into some of us going back into the office, how can we translate that, that, you know, that, that I guess the, the digital nature versus the, the in-person nature and, and really, I guess, harnessing the power of being a woman without, you know, going after being too aggressive, like what you say. Well, are you talking about specifically like being on camera like we are now or as we move back into the office and we go back to in person? Well, like uh, maybe like Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings versus an in-person meeting. What what are some of the, I guess, maybe the, the, the differences and triggers that, that we should be conscious of that we that we want to convey um, in different settings versus digital versus in real life? Yeah, well. Digital, everything's sort of amplified, right? Uh, Like we can see ourselves on the screen right now, which can be distracting. Um, You want to make sure that you're leaning in and for heaven's sake, speak clearly. I've been on so many meetings where, and not just women, but men too, they're mumbling, they're looking down, they're not looking at the camera, they're not making eye contact. Um, It's the same as in real life. We've Mm -hmm. got to, obviously, we're not going to be shaking hands for a while, probably, but we still have to look people in the eye. We still have to stand up straight like your grandmother told you to. And all these sort of old fashioned, uh, honestly, very simple ideas about how to communicate, but they're simple because they work. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we sometimes women are trained to or they've been socialized to be more meek and submissive and not take up space. Uh, give yourself permission to take up space. You are allowed to sit at the table. You can share your ideas in the meeting. You can look people in the eye. And that helps normalize the assertiveness while we wait for society to catch up with us. Now, one thing that I learned years ago is when you're walking into a, a meeting, when you're walking into the boardroom, where you sit in the position relative to the head of the table matters. And so ever since I heard that, I try to sit, if I'm not leading the meeting, I try to sit as close to the head of the table as possible. Is, is that still a real thing or is there other, any sort of in-person meeting faux pas that, that women tend to do more than men? I think you make an excellent point there. And yes, you're right. There's actually studies on that where the, where you sit at the table does there's sort of a power hierarchy around it right so the person leading the meeting is going to have the most eyeballs on him or her but if you're sitting right next to that person you're going to get more visibility from the rest of the folks at the meeting and it also shows sort of a boldness in your approach to walk in and sit down right next to the person who's about to lead instead of sitting maybe way at the other end of the table or even taking the chair and putting it against the wall which I've seen um, when there's, if there's not room for you at the table, make room, pull the chair up, make sure that you have a seat at the table. Uh, Cause that does matter. If you're sitting along the wall, you're functioning more as an audience and not as a participant. Oh, I love that. that. That's a great tip because I've definitely found myself there, not necessarily on purpose, but if you just walk into a meeting and maybe all the chairs are taken and it's just, oh, I'll just sit over here, but you're signaling that you're not part of the conversation. You're just an audience member. I, I, I love that. Yeah. Um, so say, say you are a, a woman in middle management position and you want to work your way up to the C-suite. What are some differences between those two roles and, and how can we bridge that gap to make that promotion uh, much more of a reality? That's a great question. And it's one actually that I help some of my coaching clients with because um, they're looking to move from a management role into at least director or like you're saying, C-suite. Um, and there are big differences in leadership between those two roles. So you're moving really from managing processes to managing people when you move into a C-suite. It's all about, at that point, it's all about your employee growth and retention. Like you're, just like you're um, the person on, on the call just before I had, before me, employee retention is so important right now. Um, you've got to really focus on leadership development and give up processes and move into managing people. Um, so when you're trying to do that as a manager, you need to demonstrate that you can do that. You need to you need to be able to practice leadership whenever you can. If there's an opportunity to lead a project, project if there's an opportunity to present um, in your in your company, show off that leadership skill that you have um, and that you can manage a team. Take leadership of your group projects, things of that nature, uh, because you're switching from processes to people. And a, a lot of folks struggle when they do get into a management role, letting go of the processes and trusting that your employees are are managing that, that themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of folks that try to do all of it and they end up working, you know, 80 hours a week and then their team feels underutilized. So it's about delegation. It's about team leadership development. It's about showing your plan for growing the people that 
report up to you and not the processes. I love that because it, it definitely it's a, it's a totally different skill set for managing people versus managing uh, versus managing process mm-hmm. and and you, you brought up another really good point is is managing the expectation of of having to do it all and and being able to delegate because I think that that is a also another pressure that's been put on women where the majority of our human existence we've served in one role and really over the last say less than hundred years we've sort of evolved into the the career mode and but we still want both how can we balance the the desire to wanting a career to i guess the the historically traditional role that that we've been in because there's sort of that guilt factor right that y- you want to have it all but you really can't have it all well you can have some of it all but you know there's an economic uh theory called uh, opportunity cost right so an opportunity cost affects all of our decisions every day. Um, if you if you spend time doing this thing, then you can't spend time doing this thing. The cost is the opportunity. So whichever opportunity you take, you're giving up an opportunity in some other area of your life to focus on the opportunity at hand. And I think that we can have some of it all. Uh, but we know with p- parents, with kids at home, I feel so sorry for them over this last year uh, trying to manage small school-age children and their, their education plus their own job, I, I can imagine that that would be extremely difficult and has probably disrupted any work-life balance that they may have had prior to that. Um, I think that we can have some of it all, but we've got to learn how to say no to some projects or when we're getting, when we're overtaxed or we're going to get burnt out. And you hear that a lot but it's very hard for women to say no, especially when we know we're capable of doing the things that people are asking us to do, but it becomes a time issue. Is that something that you want to spend your time doing? Because there's going to be always an opportunity cost when you say yes to this, then something else doesn't get done. And that probably brings up your, your earlier point too, to, to piggyback off that, that the importance of delegating into to other people that, that can hopefully help you out and then make that pathway to uh, easing those expectations of we got to have it all. And if we don't have it all, then we're you know just a failure in multiple ways, in, in, in multiple areas of our life, which we're obviously trying to avoid. Now, we talked earlier in the show about the great resignation and seeing more and more people leaving their jobs. And one of your TikToks, you said that men will apply to a job with only 60% of the listed skills, while women will only apply if they meet 100% of the skill set. Why do you think that this is the case? And how do you see this affecting the job market that we find ourselves in now? Yeah, that's a fascinating statistic, isn't it? That came out of a Hewlett-Packard study. Um, And when I came across it, I thought it was a perfect content for a video because I think so many women feel much more pressure to be perfect. We've got to be the best everywhere. We've got to be the perfect Pinterest mom, uh, the perfect employee, the perfect wife. Our house needs to look like a Pottery Barn catalog. and and if we fall short of any of those things, we feel guilty. We feel like we're not living up to society's expectations. So I find myself coaching a lot of my clients around that perfectionism. I struggle with it. I, I will be the first to admit that I struggle with perfectionism. Um, and I think that the reason I'm bringing that up is that 
that sort of answers the, oh, I'm not going to apply for this job because there's a few of the skill sets listed on there that I don't have yet. Um, so I'm not qualified for it unless I can do 100% of the job. Um, and I think that we're shorting ourselves. We're missing out on opportunities because of that mindset. I've one of my one of my bosses years ago, and now I tell my my team members this too. If you can do a job right out of the gate, it's probably too easy for you. If you're already capable of doing everything on that job uh, description, you're going to walk in and already be maybe overqualified. You want a job that's going to help you grow a new skill set and get outside your comfort zone, which is uncomfortable at first. But as you learn the new skills, then now you've grown as a person and as a leader. So if you're only applying for jobs where you can do 100% of it already, you're not, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to grow. And I think that men are just better at that than we are. They see, oh, I can do 60% of it. Heck, I'm going to apply. And uh, they're not as they're, they're more brazen about, I think, just saying, well, I'll learn it. I'll figure it out. And we have <laughs> such a perfectionist mindset. And remember, I'm speaking in gen generalities. Sure. Here. Not all women do all these things. Uh, there's plenty of women who will apply for a job with 60%. But the statistics are that many don't. Um, and I, I think it has to do with that perfectionism again and the having it all that you're talking about, um, thinking that we have to have it all. Um, and therefore, we maybe sell ourselves short. Hmm. I love that. So the takeaway is to apply for the damn job, even if you yeah. think you're not qualified for it. You now, now what? Some of, the, some of the qualifications and you are confident that you can learn the rest. You've got to have faith in yourself that you can learn these things and you will get you will spend the time to learn them. You, it's something that you owe yourself. I, I look at our skill set as a toolbox, right? And you want to keep putting tools in that toolbox that you didn't have before. And that's an opportunity to do that. I love that. Now, now, what role, I guess, do, do men, if any, what role do they play in, in helping to, to normalize women in, in leadership positions? You know, that's so important because men, as we know, statistically hold most of the leadership roles uh, through, throughout the world. And uh, I think that men can actively seek and show support for the ideas and the leadership of women. If you're in a position of leadership, make sure you're delegating important project opportunities to the women who report up to you. Um, they're not there to take notes and everyone else shares their ideas. I mean, obviously someone has to take notes, uh, but share that, share that responsibility. Don't always just delegate it to the female. Um, give women an opportunity to speak at the table, actively seek out their ideas and their uh, their leadership on projects. Um, it helps, and it helps if you're a woman in in a role like that too. Show respect for the ideas of other women and hold them up as well. We've got to we've got to have each other's backs here and support each other too. Absolutely, we are more than just the the potluck organizers in the <laughs> office. So so give us more things. That's another, you know, you bring up a great point. Um, some of the articles I've read, and even in my leadership degree studies, um, it was they're saying stop feeding people. It, you know, if you're bringing, you're always the one that brings in the cupcakes in the morning. Uh, well, that's great, and people love it, and they'll love you for it. You will gain lots of friends, but it's not a way to gain. 
uh, respect or to show authority, really. Um, so you got to balance that with your leadership aspirations. Absolutely. I, I was the one that was tasked early on in my career of organizing the potluck. So it was a little, that was a little <laughs> personal one for me, <laughs> but eventually I mean, we evolved. <laughs> we should all get a turn at that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I, I'm someone who I get gutted when I receive criticism on on anything that I, I work on. Even though I always want to get better, how what are what are some of the best ways to handle getting that negative feedback and turn it into something positive? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So many women will be so incredibly hard on themselves when they have criticism, and yet if someone praises you, it do, they, we don't let it make ourselves feel good for very long. We right. and when you're not together. Someone gives you a compliment and you're like, oh, it was nothing. Oh, it's I had a great team. You know, we 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 don't take compliments very well. Um, but we do take criticism very well, meaning that we hold on to it and maybe ruminate over it longer than we should. Um and if you trust the person or you know if you have respect for the person who's criticizing you, the first thing you want to do is resist getting defensive. Uh, take a step back and ask yourself, is there any truth to this criticism? And you know what? If there is, be thankful that you received it because now you have an opportunity to improve yourself, more tools in your toolbox like we were talking about. Um, admit to yourself that they they maybe are onto something and figure out a way to fix it and then share that with them. Let them know, you know, I thought about what you said. And I do see some truth in it. And I really appreciate that you gave me the opportunity to improve on this. You will gain their respect um, and they will they will fight for you uh, later on. You're, you're going to gain authority and respect from them. Love that. So, so many great <laughs> gems in, in this chat. So where can people follow your work, find your, your TikTok videos that we've been showing through the, throughout the show? Where, where can people follow more of your work? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I'm really active on TikTok. Uh, you can find me at Carmine Media, which is the name of the media company that I own. Um, I've been running that for about to almost 10 years or a little bit more than 10 years now. They can find me at Carmine Media everywhere but Twitter. I'm on I'm Sue Reynolds on Twitter. You can tell how long I've been on Twitter because <laughs> I actually was able to use my name. Nobody had it. So I think I signed up within a year of uh, Twitter just launching. So I got lucky there. But everywhere else, I'm Carmine Media, including the web. Um, I've got my Leadership for Women series. That's a, a web, web a series of webinars that have expanded uh, on these topics um, so that you can actually watch those at your leisure and uh, learn some additional leadership skills for women. And then I, I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching for uh, you know anyone that thinks that they need one-on-one uh, -on -one coach for leadership and to sort of help with their assertiveness and their personal growth. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website, digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, then I think you'll love another show that I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, tech, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on FreightWaves TV. 
There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you. You can find them in the show notes or again over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing and since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust and rely on folks like yourself that will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Bremleve and I will see you real soon.